This morning we're diving back into the story of Esther and we're picking up in the middle, uh, focusing in on Haman. So the story is full of plot twists. It's, uh, it's fascinating to see the, the different characters' storylines and, and the direction they're heading. I'm gonna tell you from the beginning the point of this message and I'll repeat it a few times uh, because I want to make sure that you get this. Pride leads to destruction. Got it? Pride leads to destruction. And so we will see in this story, and, and it, it'll reflect in our own lives on some of our own experiences, but we will see in this story a man named Haman who is incredibly proud and is lifted up. And it seems like this proud man is successful. And we will also see in this story some characters, primarily Mordecai, but also Esther, who are on the way down and they humble themselves, and it seems like their humility is going toward destruction. But, but there's this, um, this difficult thing to perceive, because in our human perspective, we always look at our circumstances, and it seems like I need to fight to raise myself up. And yet, as we'll see, the, the, the way that God designed this and, and the path of the kingdom is the opposite that those who lower themselves are exalted. So I've already given away the whole message. Now we're gonna dive back into the story of Haman. Um, I'm excited that I get to share this message because um, I'm actually working on a PhD right now in humility. Uh, humility, no, it's, not, it's not a joke. Um, it's, it's kind of ironic. I, I'm working on a dissertation on humility and leadership. Um, and so I'm probably the most humble person in the room. Um, <laughs> this is the problem with me giving this message here, as you all know me. And half of you have played sports with me or, or board games. And I'm, I'm not the best model of this. Um, so let's dive into the story. Um, Esther 3.1. So we'll review a little bit of what happened. Uh, you guys know uh, Esther was taken. She was forced to go through this beauty pageant. She's raised up as the new queen. Uh, her cousin Mordecai had raised her, so he's, he's there kind of tracking with the story. And once that all happens, we're introduced to Haman. So after these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. So, just to frame some of what's about to happen, the Agagite, our understanding is this, was, this means he was a descendant of King Agag, uh, the um, Amalekite. And the Amalekites were the sworn enemies of Israel. They were the ones that when Israel crossed the Red Sea, they were the first ones to attack Israel. Uh, later, when Saul was told to destroy the Amalekites completely, that was a story where Saul lost his position as king because he failed to kill King Agag. So there's, there's much more history with this, but the, actually, in another plot twist, another story, it was uh, an Amalekite who ended up killing Saul. Uh, anyway, so this is the Agagites. So Haman is elevated. And as he goes out, there at the gate of the palace is a Jew. 
Now, they don't necessarily know this yet. Mordecai knows who Haman is. And Haman leaves the palace, and everyone is supposed to bow before Haman because he was important. But Mordecai refused. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So this is the greatest empire on earth. It stretched from India all the way into Africa. And this man's pride was so overpowering that when one person disrespected him, it wasn't just payback on the one, it was annihilation, right? This is Hitler-level wickedness. I, I hate to compare myself to this. Several years ago, probably almost 20 years ago, I was over at Scott Bradley's house and uh, we were playing a game called Settlers of Catan. It's a very friendly game. <laughs> um, and in the game, Jared Baker built a road in front of where I was trying to go. My ego was going a certain direction because I was, I was going to win that game. And this uses the word rage. There was rage. I looked at Jared and there was hatred in my eyes. And I said, I will end you. And I sabotaged him. I, I, I gave up on winning the game and I just went after blocking anything Jared was going to do. Right, the, the level of immaturity. It took me a day or two to go home and like cool off and then realize, wow, I'm a jerk. Jared was one of my students, right? I'm a great example. Um, so here's Haman. His, his ego is a little bit, you know, attacked. Someone else isn't giving him what he deserves. And in order to lift himself up, this is what pride does. It climbs on top of everyone else. But it's never enough because pride is never satisfied. So it wasn't just got to beat Mordecai. It's destroy his whole family, make an example of him. So here's the contrast in Esther chapter four. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. And many lay on sackcloth and ashes. So visualize this contrast. We have Haman, who's been elevated to second command in the entire empire, who's reacting to one person that didn't feed his ego. And then in contrast, you have Mordecai and the Jews lowering themselves and crying out to God, right? Visually, you can see the contrast, the humility and the pride. 
Esther added to this when she hears what's going on. Haman asked her to use her position as queen to help the people. Uh, and as you know, she was risking her life by doing this. She said, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, nights, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king for it is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So again, we see the people of Israel lowering themselves, humbling themselves and fasting and crying out to God for help. And then you see this man in great power who's lifting himself up. We see an example of humility in Esther who's willing to lay down her life, right? If I perish, I perish. It's, it's the lowering, it's the willingness to die for everyone else. This is actually a storyline where we, we skip some parts. Remember when Esther was um, preparing for the beauty pageant? She didn't just do what she thought was best. She, she demonstrated humility by telling the, the guy that cared for the ladies, hey, you tell me what to wear, right? She wasn't a know-it-all. So this is the contrast that we see forming in this story, the pride of Haman and the humility of Mordecai. So Esther makes this plan. She goes into the king. Chapter five, it says, then the king said to her, oh, I skipped some of the details. Uh, so she's gonna go into the king, but she knows that if he doesn't lift his golden scepter, that that means she's dead because that's how the rules work. Uh, and so she goes in and the, the, the king is actually really excited to see her, lifts the golden scepter. And when she comes in, he says, well, what do you want? Now, some of the details of the story, we have to pay attention. Remember, her enemy in the story is the king's best friend, the man in power. And, and you'll notice in this story, Haman walks in with the king when he wants to. Esther doesn't have that position. So, so she can't just walk in and say, it's me versus Haman, make your choice. So she says, we'll read it. Then the, oh, she said to the king, would you come? I'll just read. Then the king said to her, what is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half the kingdom, it shall be given to you. Esther said, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet I have prepared for him. So she has this beautiful banquet. They drink wine. They're having a good time. In this scene, uh, Haman's probably a little bit drunk. But Haman, he was already proud, but now he just got invited to the queen's residence. Just him and the king get invited, only them. So he's feeling pretty good about himself. But on his way home, we see this scene play out again. He walks past Mordecai and Mordecai refuses to bow down. Right, pride is never satisfied. Haman had everything, but this was really getting to him. So chapter five, verses 10 through 13, it says, Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. 
Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons and every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she had prepared. And tomorrow also, I'm invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. This speech brings to mind another story. It's um, another great ruler. It was Nebuchadnezzar standing on his balcony and celebrating his own glory, celebrating his accomplishments in his kingdom. And as you know, in that story, he started eating like a cow for seven years. Right? God has a way of lowering. For Haman, this, this story is about to take a turn. Right? There's a pivot that's about to happen. But before we get to that pivot, um, we, we should pause here because this is oftentimes where we find ourselves. I don't remember the order I put these verses. I'll, I'll read these couple of verses just to shape the idea, and then we'll read a psalm. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble, there is wisdom. Uh, I thought about listing all these and just having them scrolling on the, on the screen, but it would have taken too long. Uh, scripture is full of these statements and these stories. Pride leads to destruction, and humility is exalted. That's just the way it is. Um, I should define pride and humility a little bit. Um, so pride is, is this, this thing inside of us, we, we might relate it to our ego, that, that constantly wants to be lifted up. And humility is a willingness to be selfless and to lower the self. So a prideful person always wants to have an elevated view of self, right? Which is actually unrealistic. And a, and a humble person actually, in contrast, has a more real view of self, right? So don't, don't misunderstand this. It's often, humility is often confused with weakness. Uh, humility has nothing to do with weakness. It's actually the, the stronger position because humility is dealing within reality, where pride is dealing within a delusion. Like, pride doesn't see reality, it, it sees a make-believe reality that it's living in. So Haman, in his pride, doesn't see what's going on, and his friends say, well, Haman, you have the power, let's just build some gallows. And not just, we're not just gonna kill Mordecai. Uh, we want to make these, it says 50 cubits, so it's like 75 feet, which is probably close to three times the height of the ceiling. He wants to make sure everyone knows. This is what happens when you challenge my pride. And so they build some gallows, which, which by the way, I, we tend to picture this like an old Western or like a, 
European hanging. Um, probably it's a little more gruesome than that. In um, you know, 2,500 years ago in the Middle East, they, they were probably using a stake and impelling uh, people on them as a demonstration of their power that they'd conquered. So a little more gruesome. At this point in the story, when we stop and we see what's happening, it does appear that the proud man is going to win and that those who are being humbled will be humbled further and destroyed. For those of us who read the scriptures, this is a little confusing when we find ourselves in this position. Right? We, we know that God lifts up the, the humble and that he pushes down the proud, but, but why does it appear in our situations so often that the opposite is happening? So this is what we see happening in this story. Psalm 73 describes this confusion. So I'm gonna read the whole Psalm. This is the psalmist recognizing in his situation th this frustration that I know I'm the one trusting in God. I'm the one humbling myself. Why is it that the proud man is overpowering me? Surely God is good to Israel. But those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My step had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there is no pain in their deaths, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know, and is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. 
You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me, and afterward, receive me to glory. Whom, I have, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. In our perception, the proud man is climbing over everyone else, and it often appears that they're going to win. And, and we reach this pivot in the story, this turning point, but before we go forward and see how this plays out, we, we need to remember this because oftentimes in our lives we're, we're going to go through these types of stories and we tend to forget and we express what the psalmist expressed, and I think it's fine for us to express that to God. But we also ought to be aware that this will play out. And as you see what the psalmist said, he, he works through the situation, right? He's expressing this confusion, this frustration to God, and then he works through it in his prayer. And in Psalm 73, he ends up with this. He says, God, I know this is how you work. I know that the proud man, as much as it looks like he has everything and I have nothing, I know, God, that he will be destroyed. C.S. Lewis described pride as the complete anti-God state of mind. Uh, and, and many theologians have written about pride as, as this underlying um, well, sin, but it's, it's this foundational type of sin from which all other sins grow. Which, which adds to the gravity of what we're talking about because if we understand pride for what it is, it's a view of everyone else that forces them down and me up. It reacts to any challenge, any impression that someone else might be better, and it climbs and it fights. And if you understand pride to be that, then how does it respond to God? God is above. He's better. Pride cannot exists in relationship with God. It doesn't work. Throughout, throughout the scriptures, it constantly says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And as you begin to understand how, how this works, we begin to see that pride in itself is a rejection of God. There's a, throughout the Proverbs, it, it portrays it as pride and foolishness is just being synonymous. So you'll notice pride is talked about throughout the Proverbs, and each time the, the proud man is a fool, and each time there's a humble person, it's a wise man. So the wise man humbles himself and receives instruction, but a proud man hates those who offer advice. So there, there are two trajectories Pride is a resistance against God, and it fights any threat. I'll tell another story from 20 years ago. It's easier for me to tell stories about a long time ago when I was really immature and dealt with pride. Um, I was in the dorm, it was my first year at ABI, so it was about 20 years ago. 
and there were some girls in the dorm talking about this cool guy named Scott Fraley. And apparently they'd gone on this ski trip and Scott was at the top of the hill and he just like jumped and kicked a backflip with a snowboard on. And my ego immediately saw someone else being elevated and I walked up and blurted out, I can do a backflip. Right, I couldn't, I, my pride had to respond. Someone else was going up, I had to climb with them. It's embarrassing where pride takes us. But pride can't handle someone else's elevation. Pride cannot appreciate the successes of others. A, pride, a proud person doesn't recognize the people around them and what they're contributing. Right, it has to be about me. So a proud person is unable, they're incapable of seeing reality, of seeing themselves or others as we really are. I find it fascinating in sports because it's competition, right? We're, we're all trying to beat the other person. But I love watching, I'll actually skip in the highlights to the end of the games because I love watching the reaction after the game in the, in the interviews. And what you'll notice is most of the great athletes in the world have figured this out, right? They interview the quarterback after a football game, and what do they say? Well, man, my offensive line did a great job today, and those guys caught some really tough passes, and right? That, you guys have all heard this before, right? Usually, even in individual sports, good boxers will recognize after, they'll thank their, their team, they'll thank the people that train them and their coach. There, there's, a, there's an understanding for people that have gotten that far, usually, they have this capacity to recognize the contribution of others, right? There, there's a humility in that. And, and we all understand what happens if they don't do that, right? The arrogant quarterback that says it's all about him and his offensive line was a bunch of trash, they're probably not gonna block so good the next game, right? That's, that's just how it works. So, We'll proceed. I should have printed these one-sided. No idea where we are. What's next? Ooh, okay. So, um, it's a fascinating thing about this idea is that we see this right in the center of the gospel. Right, when we, when we look at the story of Jesus and many other stories throughout scripture, this is the exact same story playing out. Right, when you look at the moment when Jesus is being crucified, it looks like those arrogant Pharisees had won. Right, and in the bigger picture, it looks like Satan had won. He's killing the Son of God. And yet this is how God accomplishes his work here on earth. He actually uses the proud, and it's fascinating because we see this in the story of Esther, the proud and the humble, and there's a collision point, and there's a pivot that happens. And in that pivot, the destruction of the pride is actually used to accomplish God's good purpose in lifting up the humble. And so at the cross, the pride of the Sanhedrin is destroyed and the pride of Satan is destroyed and Christ is victorious. 
Jesus had taught this throughout his ministry. This is the way it works. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Right, Jesus was teaching his disciples the way up is down. And those who are caught up in the ego that are looking up and trying to climb that path, it falls apart. And it leads to destruction. That's just the way it works. It's, it's kind of like if we understand that God created everything and this is how God designed the world to work. It's kind of like um, gravity, like a natural law. And refusing to comply with this principle, with this design, would be like refusing to comply with gravity, right? It's me saying, no, that's not the way it works. I'm going to elevate myself, and I'm going to jump out this window because I don't believe it's true. And what I'm telling you is, this isn't just in the Bible. It's, it's athletes around the world and everyone else. There's, there's a reality in this. Yes, for a time, the proud person can look like they're succeeding, Right, just like Psalm 73 described. But that path leads to destruction. It's where it goes. And so in God's kingdom, we are invited into this awareness that our way is humility. Our way is to humble ourselves. And in that path of humility, in that path of selflessness, it's there that God is lifting us up. Because pride is the anti-God state of mind, and God will not lift up the proud. All right, that's our turning point. Let's continue forward. The next verse in Esther. There it is. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, what is to be done? Oh, I did not set this up. <laughs> okay, so remember where we left off with Haman. He's in his house. He tells his family all of his great accomplishments. They're all like, yeah, you're amazing, but you got to kill Mordecai. So he builds the 75-foot gallows or stake. And this is his plan, right? In the morning, he's going to go talk to the king. Mordecai is going to be killed, and he will have won. But clearly, God had some other things in mind. This is where the story pivots. Haman goes to sleep. He's going to win. King Ahasuerus also went to sleep, and he had a dream. It, well, he, well, no, it wasn't a dream. He couldn't sleep. And so he invites his guys to read him a bedtime story, and they read the story of how Mordecai had saved his life. And he says, well, what did we do for Mordecai? And they said, well, nothing. You didn't do anything for Mordecai. And right about then, Haman has woken up from his sleep, and he's coming in with his plan. He's already built the gallows, and he's walking in the door. The king says, oh, who's at the door? They said, Haman. He said, invite Haman in. And so Haman comes in with the plan to kill Mordecai, who the king was just talking about, right? The king was just reminded Mordecai saved his life. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king desire to honor more than me? Because right? a proud person can't see what's going on. 
Then Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king desires to honor, let them bring a royal robe which the king has worn and the horse on which the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown has been placed and let the robe and the horse be handed over to the one the king's to one of the king's most noble princes and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him this thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor What a twist. Just like that. Haman's big plan of killing Mordecai, and moments later, he's leading him around on a horse, declaring, honor this man. And Haman's pride is beginning to be crushed. At the end of the day, he goes running home with his head covered, and he's weeping, and he gets into his house, and he begins to tell his wife and his friends what is going on, and they said, Man, this isn't good. With Mordecai being a Jew, I don't think this ends well for you. Right? It sounds like they're kind of like, oh, okay, too bad for you. Um, and as they're speaking, they're just like, this is all playing out. Suddenly, Haman is grabbed by the king's servants who are taking him to the second banquet with Esther. And at the second banquet, the king again says, Esther, what do you want? All right, up to half my kingdom, what is it that you want? So again, remember back, Esther, had come in and requested a dinner, right? She didn't dare to, to try to position herself directly against Haman yet. And they came to dinner and she, she says, well, again, let's, let's have another dinner tomorrow. And during that time between the dinner the day before, Haman's gone home, he's celebrating, he plans to kill Mordecai. The whole thing plays out with him leading Mordecai on the horse and now here they are sitting at dinner again. This has all happened very quickly over the span of a day. Then Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed and to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would, not, I would have remained silent, for the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance of the king. Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? Who would presume to do thus? Esther said, a foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. proud man who is exalting himself is suddenly on the path to destruction, which, by the way, was the path all along, right? We don't always see it, but pride is always the path to destruction. And so, the king 
steps out to the garden. He probably had a bit to drink again. He's upset, but this is his right-hand man. And then what's going to happen? Well, there, there, there's a little more twist to the story because Haman starts begging for his life, and he crawls up onto Esther's couch. And so when the king comes back in, that's the moment he sees Haman climbing onto his wife. And that seals Haman's fate. He says, how dare you in my own house try to assault my wife? And at that moment, I I picture this like Haman's, he's a jerk, right? He probably wasn't nice to the other people in the palace. So there's this guy named Harbona, one of the eunuchs. He says, oh, hey, king. Uh, behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, hang him on it. It's where pride leads. I want to jump over to Daniel, because I was thinking about Nebuchadnezzar. For Haman, pride led to destruction and death, and and as you see the storyline play out, you have the Jews who are mourning and crying out to God and humbling themselves, and in the end, the whole storyline flips. All of the people who were going to attack the Jews end up being defeated, and the Jews are victorious, right? They had humbled themselves, and God had lifted them up. Nebuchadnezzar spent seven years eating grass like a cow after exalting himself. And at the end of that story, Nebuchadnezzar actually wrote this chapter in Daniel chapter four. It says, and at that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I reestablished my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for he works, his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So here's some good news. God humbles the proud, which is good news when you're dealing with a proud person, but it's also good news when you're dealing with yourself. Right? I, I joke about my PhD in humility, but here's the reality. I told stories from 20 years ago, just this week, I was right here in the gym. Wednesday morning, a guy showed up who was more athletic than me, and he made me look old and slow. And it ruined my whole morning. I went home angry because someone dared to be better than me. preparing a message on humility and I, there's something inside of me that still wants to climb, to fight. And God is saying, Eric, open your eyes. That's not the right path. It's okay that someone else is good at something. Let's celebrate them. At the end of the story, we see it complete. Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Hajwaris, and great among the Jews, and in favor with his many kinsmen who sought one who was sought who sought the good of his people and who was spoke for the welfare of 
his whole nation. So here's the conclusion. Two verses going on the screen. This is it. Whether you're dealing with a proud person in your life, don't allow your pride to act, react. The path is humility. Or whether you're beginning to recognize, oof, man, that pride in me is ugly. Well, it's simple. The path is humility. Right now, God is offering grace when we lower ourselves. When I simply take my mind and my eyes off of me, and I look up to God and recognize he's above me. In these passages, it says, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in proper time. When we begin to grasp who we are before our creator, his, it's hard to even put into words, who he is and me as a feeble human. This should come naturally, but we have a choice. So I'm inviting you this morning, choose the path of humility. This is the path of God's grace. It's the path that God will lift up. So humble yourself this morning. As we go into worship, put your eyes on Jesus, on God, recognize his greatness, and humble yourself before him. Thank you, Eric. I don't know if you know this, but a guy who gets up in front of all these people and talks about himself being prideful is actually humility, <laughs> right? It's actually when we come to the Lord and we say, I'm not humble. <laughs> it's when we let go of our pride. There's another story about that where the young, the young son realizes as he's eating the slop, he says, I think I had it better with my dad. What's the dad's reaction as he comes back? He's running to him to accept him. That's what God's offering us today, to let go of a prideful life and receive more from him, the life that he has from us. Man, so beautiful. It doesn't matter how prideful we are or how stubborn we are, the invitation's there for you. We don't officially end at 1230. You guys stick around, hang out. Thank you again, Eric, for sharing the word this morning. Let's have a wonderful week. Be blessed.